According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. We are in Proverbs 13 this morning, looking at verses 12 through 19. And uh, I can teach this the popular way, or I can teach this the biblical way, so I think we should probably stay biblical. Uh, Although uh, it would be very easy to just plunge into the insanity of liberalism and and uh, become a prosperity gospel kind of guy um they, they tend to make a lot of money so that's that's a plus but uh they do face an eternal judgment uh for defying the lord god and and that that's not a plus i would not want to do that so uh we'll go ahead and teach this biblically and uh, not plunge into the the insanity that uh so frequently happens all right, God is spirit. He must be worshipped in spirit and in truth in preparation for the study of the Word of God. Let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking for the Father's blessing upon our time together. Shall we pray? Mighty Father, we come before you this morning, thankful for your truth, thankful for your blessing, thankful, Father, for your grace recognizing that apart from your grace, none of us would be here. And uh, who are we, Father, that we should be brought into your counsel, that we should uh, have explained to us your thinking, your plan, your purpose. And yet, uh, Father, you freely bestow upon us all these things. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who guides us into the uh, truth, who leads us into all things, even the deep things of God. So, Father, thank you this morning that we can once again study to show ourselves approved and it is your faithfulness that will make this happen. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so as we got through point nine, which was verse 11, wealth obtained by fraud dwindles, but the one who gathers by labor increases it. Um, it's, it's, I think it's important to note that, that we have that concept that then leads into this inclusio, the idea of wealth, uh, the, the quick and easy get-rich-quick scheme or the slow and painful uh, design of the Father that, uh, that we do work. And uh, that's the process there. And so don't lose sight of that, I think, which we gave you under point uh, 8, 9, it was point 9 would have been wealth without work versus wealth through work. It's true, it's productive, and it may take longer and it may be slower and it may require a cumulative uh, production of, uh, of, of so forth. And it also may uh, require a deferred enjoyment uh, in, in certain ways. And that's what leads into this inclusio then because we have hope deferred and that is viewed in some circles as a bad thing. And the Bible even uh, describes it this way that it makes the heart sick. And so how long is deferred? Is it deferred forever? Is there ever a realized gratification? Or is it just indefinitely deferred to where you never get to reap? And is that what God designed? Is hope deferred, uh, hope denied? And, uh, and when it is, then what's the consequence? So we're going to talk about that. Anyway, don't lose the fact that, uh, that uh, verse 11 there is, is kind of the springboard into the uh, inclusio that we're looking here in verses 12 through 13. All right. So an inclusio, uh, it's a a poetic structure, it's a grammatical form here that uh, takes verses 12 through 19 and puts it together as a unit. And that's how I'm going to teach it, that's how I understand it, that's how I see it. 
Sometimes you get uh, uh, fights between different uh, scholars, different linguists, that uh, they would prefer to do 12 through 18, or they would prefer to do 13 through 17, or they have different ways to structure the poetry. And I think in some cases they make a very good case, in other cases they're a little um, shaky, they're on shakier ground, especially when they try to maybe repoint some of the Hebrew terms, or they try to, they say, well, this is, this is not really a clear manuscript and we could substitute this word for that word and then, boy, the poetry works great. Well, yeah, if you change what it says, you can, you can change the poetry, I get that. But do we have a manuscript basis for changing this word for that? How, how likely is it that the manuscript is corrupt? Because it seems pretty, it seems uh, on solid ground to me uh, instead of trying to do these, these willy-nilly substitutions. So Anyway, I do like the structure as we see it here um, because uh, I can see in verse 12 the hope deferred and I can see in uh, along with the desire fulfilled. So there's poetry within verse 12. But then also down to verse 19 there's the desire realized. All right, And so we have the parallelism between hope deferred in verse 12 and desire realized in, uh, in verse 19. Likewise, we have despises the word will be in debt. That's in verse 13. Notice that the one who despises the word will be in debt to it. When you're living your life in defiance to the word of God, there's a price to pay. And it's the word of God itself that exacts that price. And we'll talk about that. Uh, The parallelism in verse 18 then, where it says uh, regarding reproof will be honored. Uh, again, as poverty and shame will come to him who neglects discipline. And that's, I think, very much uh, parallel to the despising the word will be in debt. There's actually two sets, and both of them are parallel between verse 13 and verse 18. The A part, the B part, the A part, the B part. I should have included that on the slide. So uh, despising the word will be in debt to it, that's 13A. And uh, poverty and shame to him who neglects discipline, that's 18a. 13b says, um, the one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. And 18b says, but he who regards reproof will be honored. And so there's parallelism there as well. It's doubled up in verse 13 and in verse 18. Um, Point C, the, the third portion of this inclusio. All right, so we've got A, B, C, and D. There's four of these, and we're working our way in, okay? From the first and the last to the second to the second to last to the third to the third to last, and then to the to the fourth and fourth to last, which are really the middle two verses of this uh, of this po- of this poetry. So in verse 14, we have uh, the fountain of life and the snares of death as we read it, uh, and this is both in the A and B part of verse 14, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life to turn aside from the snares of death. So it includes both halves of verse 14 uh, to convey the imagery with fountain of life and snares of death. In verse 17, again we're going to use the A and the B part, combining them together, we have the falling into adversity, but we have the faithful envoy that brings healing. Okay, And so there we have the poetry as well between verse 14 and verse 17. Now some dispute this uh, because it is, it is an inverted poem, but that happens a lot. That happens where 14a is parallel to 17b and uh, 14b is parallel to 17a. That's not unusual. 
but uh, still there are um, Hebrew scholars that will uh, dispute the parallelism in that in that sense. Um, in any event, then we have finally favor and treachery paralleled with prudence and folly, and that's uh, verse fifteen together with verse sixteen. So we have uh, favor in the A part. Good understanding produces favor, right? And what's favor? We're talking grace. We're talking about the grace of God, the favor of God that, that normally comes from God as a source. It's His grace that shines upon us. But here we actually see the production of favor. Something that we engage in that becomes in itself an engine uh, that, that derives or produces or generates a uh, grace in that respect. Okay? So good understanding produces favor, but the way of the treacherous is hard. That's 15a and 15b. The parallel comes in verse 16. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool displays folly. So we have prudence and folly in uh, verse 16. All right. So that's the poetry. As I'm breaking it down, as I understand it, as I see it, there are others that will do different things with it. But that's uh, that's how we're going to handle it in the following points. Now, back to verses 12 through 19 then, and what are we dealing with with hope deferred? Hope deferred making the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Uh, What does this mean? Does this mean if you don't get what you want, um, that's a bummer? (laughs) If it's hope deferred, there's consequences for not getting your way. But if you get what you want, then you're happy. Okay? So is that what we're teaching? Okay? The problem is you can teach it that way, and people do. There are tragic misapplications, there we go, which arise from this passage when it is not bound to the whole counsel of God's Word. So we're going to take this passage as being true, but we're going to understand it in a context that takes several other passages as also being true. And so we have to reconcile them together. And we're not going to uh, we're not going to have a flawed understanding of of a verse in isolation or in ignoring other uh, other contexts. All right, so uh, we're not just going to take it at face value and say, all right, well that's what it means absolutely in all circumstances. Because if all I do is just read verse twelve and verse nineteen and say, well, God wants me to be happy, uh, I, I want to get what I want to get. And if I get what I want to get, then then I'll be happy. Is that what it's really saying? Because then we have to stop and ask ourselves, well, what if I want something carnal? What if I want something out of the will of God? Is is God then honor bound to to reward my lust, to reward my greed, to reward my carnality? Because, uh, you know, desire fulfilled is a tree of life. So God wants me to get what I want. He wants my desires fulfilled. Well, wait a minute. Likewise, uh, in verse 19, desire realized is sweet to the soul. Okay, That right there, I think, gives us a clue. Because when you think about what's sweet, is, 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 uh, can you have too much sweet? Too much of what is sweet? What happens if that's all you have is sweet and you never have the sour, you never have other flavors, you never have other uh, true... New, if, if all you eat is candy seven days a week, all day, every day, um, what, what's your nutrition going to be like if it's nothing but uh, Snickers and Milky Way breakfast, lunch, and dinner? All right, I like Snickers. Okay, 
But, I mean, there's other things besides Snickers. Okay, there's milkshakes. <laughs> All right, but the point being, um, <laughs> sweet, that ought to be a clue. That ought to be a clue. De- desire realized is sweet to the soul. Well, we don't always get sweet. We don't always get desire realized. It's not all the time. It's not all day, every day. Sometimes we don't get what we want. And it's God's good pleasure to not give us. He gives, He takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. All right? And so we can't just take one passage or two passages in complete isolation and, and stand on that as if it's an absolute principle and ignore the rest of the Bible. That would then result in a tragic misapplication. So, I think we could take other passages as well for a contrast and for some concepts that will help us to maybe illustrate the Proverbs, such as Psalm 37. Psalm 37. And and I think in any of these, not only getting them for contrast, but I think we're also getting um, some uh, a breadth of the whole counsel that will help us in uh, in different ways. And because each of these could also be abused again in isolation, ignoring other other contexts and other passages. So Psalm thirty-seven. You know, and it's it's almost. You've seen it, I'm sure. I mean, there's, there's verses and people will grab a snippet or grab a verse and then they claim it as if it's absolute, no matter what. And then wait a minute, okay? There are other parameters at work even in the passage you're trying to abuse. So let's get the whole counsel on this and not twist what God's trying to say. So um, Psalm 37, uh, verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart. Okay? And, and do we claim that as an absolute? Do we claim that without question, without any kind of context or without any kind of parameters or limitations? See, the problem is, is we want to magnify that He will give you the desires of your heart and just say, well, there it is. He has to, He has to, He has to. But wait a minute. What does it mean to delight yourself in the Lord? And are you delighting yourself in the Lord? Or are you selfishly treating the Lord as, as uh, you know, something inappropriate as just this uh, indulgent father that has no discipline and no real love and just gives you whatever your selfish lust wants. That's not delighting yourself in the Lord. That's delighting yourself in yourself and expecting the Lord to, uh, to validate that. Okay? Also I think there is a uh, a larger circle, I mean it follows trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. So there's a larger context, the parameters that surround this promise uh, have uh, boundaries and have a uh, scope that uh, we don't want to depart from if we're just going to say, well God has to give me the desires of my heart and the desire of my heart is a bright red Ferrari convertible. Okay? And because the desire of my heart is a Ferrari and God hasn't given me a Ferrari, well then God's a liar, the Bible's wrong, and I'm done with it. See? And, and I, I'm trying to be kind of over the top in the illustration or a little bit brutal with it because people go there, they may not go there to that extent, they may not verbalize it out, down, out loud, but they're thinking that way. That's how the thought process goes. 
because they've been a good Christian. They've been a good person. They've, they've done all, everything right. And they haven't, you know, they've been, they've been going to church, they've been living moral, they've been pleasing God. So why, you know, are they still having struggles with their income or their bills or their job or, or whatever it may be? That's just not fair. That's just not right. God's not giving me what I want, what I deserve. I'm a better Christian than this snake. Why does this guy get that? Why does this crummy believer get these great things? Because I'm better than him. I deserve it. All right. So uh, anyway, that's verse 4. But notice it's also verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him. He will do it. When will He do it? How soon will He do it? In what way will He do it? And am I really committed to Him? Am I willing to make that commitment? You know, the language of commitment is a long-term deal. <laughs> you know? Commitment is not instantaneous gratification. What kind, of, what kind of commitment is that? Trust in Him, He will do it. And uh, He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, your judgment as the noonday. You know, you, what your thinking is being shaped in, in conformity to His Word, to His thinking, to His standard. And the desires are being shaped to his heart, to his desires. If you've got a desire that's different than his desire, that's a problem. That means you're not allowing his desires to be formed within you. or his, He's supposed to be at work in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. Are you listening to that? Are you pursuing that? Are you on board with that? Or are you kind of shoving that off to the side because you've got what you want to do? It's not his will, but my will be done. Okay? And then verse 7, rest. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. He said He was going to do it. You just haven't seen it yet. You're not ready for it yet. All this I want, I want, I want, I want, you got to grow up a little bit. There's, until you can handle it, He's not going to let you handle it. Okay? I'm sure a four-year-old would love to drive a car, but that we don't let four-year-olds drive. they got to grow up. Okay? I'm starting to wonder about 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds and anyway, 18-year-olds and 21-year-olds. Let's uh, all right. Uh, at some point, you got to let them. But you know what? But <laughs> that's a whole different sermon right there. All right. So here's this context in Psalm 37, verse 4, verse 5, and verse 7, and we see in the surrounding passages, in the surrounding verses, in the extended context, we see concepts whereby these things cannot just be ripped out of their out of their out of their scope and just claimed on an absolute basis god you have to give me the desire of my heart no matter what say can't do that you can't do that in psalm 37 you can't do that in proverbs 13 all right and uh aspects there well what about ecclesiastes 11 can i claim that yeah Let's use Ecclesiastes for my theology. That's uh, <laughs> like money is the answer to everything. We saw that a few weeks ago. Men prepare a meal for enjoyment. Wine makes life merry. And money is the answer to everything. So hey, words to live by. Put that on your refrigerator. All right. Ecclesiastes. Remember um, Ecclesiastes is a book of human viewpoint. It's kind of the mental attitude that you would have or I would have if we stop um, being molded by the Word of God, if we stop, if we're out of fellowship for a lengthy period of time, if uh, our, 
our attitudes start being conformed to the world instead of transformed by the will of God. All right, And so we start to reflect a worldly view on things. doesn't mean we lose our information or we forget knowledge, but it becomes colored and it becomes abused very quickly. And here's a good example of that. Um, Rejoice, young man, during your childhood and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. Okay, life is short, play hard. I think that's a Nike commercial. Um, and so while, you, while you're young and healthy, live it up. Have all the fun you can while you can because those days are coming to an end. Okay, uh, Follow the impulses of your heart. Boy, that gets across loud and clear in our generation, doesn't it? Okay, follow the impulses of your heart. Because, yeah, you know. <laughs> Never mind the fact that the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Go ahead and follow those impulses. Follow your heart. Okay, you know. Oh, but Dad, I know he's not a believer, but I love him. You know, Scripture says, do not be unequally yoked. What does the Word of God say? It doesn't say follow the impulses of your heart. Okay. And... uh and the desires of your eyes. Isn't this what got Eve in trouble? She was looking upon the tree that it was desirable to make one wise. The fruit looked good for food. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. Okay? And so here's Solomon in human viewpoint saying, do all of that. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. Okay? You will answer for it. There are consequences. There's a price to pay. And, and in the New Testament it says the same thing. You know, they count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They know there's consequences. All right. They'll accept them. They know that there will be judgment down the road, but hey, they're willing to pay that price because we're having fun now. And uh, know that God will bring you to judgment for these things. Wow. Okay, so I think this is a nice um, balance, uh, a passage that kind of opens our eyes to say, now wait a minute, if I'm going to absolutely, if I'm going to say that hope deferred makes the heart sick, that I'm not willing to wait for anything, I better stop and say, well, sickness can be a good thing. The hope is deferred. That's a good thing. My heart is sick. Yes, that's a good thing. But for the time being, I'm going to accept that sickness. I'm going to accept that weakness. Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. I'm going to um, wait. I'm going to wait patiently, as as Psalm 37 said, wait. And then when He chooses to provide, then I will praise Him for the sweetness. I will praise Him for the the end to the sickness and the end to the, the, uh, the anxious longing and all the rest. Okay? I think it's also curious to me, let me... I'm going to get to Hebrews 11 here in a moment, but ask yourself this, if you don't see it yet, why don't you see it yet? Because faith can see it. So Proverbs, uh, again, what are these verses we're illustrating? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. So you don't see it, you don't see it yet, but can you see it? By faith, can you see what's not yet seen? And desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Verse 19, desire realized is sweet to the soul. So if you don't see it yet, you can still see it by faith. 
You can still see it. We can operate like God operates, where He anticipates what He knows is coming. And so with Hebrews 11.1 we see this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen, for by it the men of old gained approval. Okay, So what's the answer to hope deferred makes the heart sick? Walk by faith. Okay, And then you will see, you will have the substance and the conviction and the assurance of what has been promised, that hope deferred. Okay, That's the answer. The answer is not just to selfishly demand it now. The answer is to walk by faith, look by faith, see what you don't yet see with your eyes, but know that your Father is providing. Trust for Him to, uh, to do this. Okay? And I think that's, uh, that's a blessing. All right. Then verse 13 and 18 now. Let's look at our next tandem. We're not going to abuse this either. The one who despises the word will be in debt to it. But the one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. All right, What is your attitude to doctrine? What is your attitude to Bible class? If the creator God of the universe is choosing to provide information to his children, is that a big deal? Or eh, take it or leave it. There's nothing, you know. What's our attitude? Are we, are we humble before the burning bush? Are we on, are we reverent before the Word of God? Or are we neglecting it? You know, you miss it once, it's easy to miss it again, it's easy to miss it again, then you get in the habit, you get in the pattern, then you realize, man, I haven't seen the gym in six months. Okay? Uh, well, what's the case? You know, think about Bible classes at the gym. <laughs> okay? Or think that's where you get trained, that's where you get your nutrition, that's where you get uh, your exercise, you get, and, and the neglect that comes in, you become in debt to it. And then the, the language here actually becomes financial. So this is point 12. The believer's attitude towards the Word of God determines whether it is an account receivable or an account payable. Think about it this way. See, I'm married to CPA, so I like thinking in sometimes accountant terminology. Are you in debt or does it owe you? Do you owe it or does it owe you? Who owes who in this transaction? Is this an account receivable or is this an account payable? Do you color it black or do you color it red when you're uh, laying out your ledger here on your assets and your liabilities? Okay. And to me it's interesting. The one who despises the word will be in debt to it. So uh, just imagine somebody that you owe something, whatever it might be, and the longer, I mean it doesn't even have to be anybody brutal, it doesn't have to be a loan shark or anything. It could be, you know, just a friend. Okay, It could be somebody pleasant. You're not really facing broken kneecaps or anything that rough. But you know, nevertheless, as long as it hangs out there, the longer that it hangs out there, the longer that it hangs out there, does it get any better? <laughs> okay? Yeah, it gets worse. Okay? And if it's an official, you know, a bank or a legal thing, then 
you're accumulating interest. There's going to be penalties for late payment. There's going to be there's other consequences the longer that it goes. Um, so, so you're in debt, okay? In other words, that there is a just claim, and that just claim is going a certain direction, right? And that's the nature of, of any financial transaction. So there is a just claim. The, the cash flow is either outgoing or incoming. And that's the, 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 psalm, the, the uh, proverb here is using the, the uh, financial language to describe this. In despising the word of God, you will be in debt to it. There is a just claim over you. So um, whatever that case may be, okay? And uh, you, uh, whatever the product was, and you, you wanted it now, you didn't want to save up for it, you didn't pay for it, uh, and so you just put it on credit and you walked out with it, so now you have it up front. But now there's a just claim. And there is uh, a, a, a credit card or a store or a person or somebody has a just claim over you that says, okay, pal, um, you wanted that and you wanted that today. I was happy to give it to you today, but uh, show me the money. Okay, you're, you, you have to pay me now and you're going to pay more over the long term than uh, you would have paid otherwise and that's, what, that's the cost of, of impatience. Okay? That's the, that's, the, that's the value of, of uh, convenience. And so, uh, because you want it now, you're going to pay more. All right. So, um, how, how are you in debt to the Word of God? You ever think about that? When you've neglected the Word of God, you're in debt to the very Word you neglected. You know, God holds you accountable to whom much is given shall much be required. And of him that they've given more, they will expect all the more. And so think about the ways you're in debt to the doctrine, to the content, to the principles and the promises and the aspects. And so when, when, uh, when the Holy Spirit is communicating truth, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And when, when Jesus Christ expects his flock to, to grow and to learn and so forth, and you decided there were other priorities and didn't, uh, didn't listen. Well, guess what? You're in debt to it. That very thing is He gave it to you because you're going to be tested in it. There's going to be an application. You're not equipped to deal with the testing or equipped to deal with the application. But you're in debt to it. There is a just claim over you. The just claim is you need to live what, what He has entrusted you to live. And that becomes uh, the aspect there. So do you fear the commandment and regard the reproof? Well, wow, now you're in the money, okay? Now the cash flow is coming your direction. When you fear the Word of God, when you're living the Word of God, you're regarding that reproof, how profitable is that to you, okay? The one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. Wow, okay, right? Show me the money, okay? The, 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 the reward, okay, the value, the, the benefit that's coming your direction, is eternal. I mean, it's, it's beyond what we could ask or think. There is a reward for fearing, for being reverent before the Word of God. And, uh, and that. Same thing with the honor in verse 18. Poverty and shame will come to him who neglects discipline. Poverty and shame. Are we, see, you understand, it's using that financial language 
connecting it to uh, our disregard for doctrine, for the Word of God. This is the disciplined instruction, the Musar, right? That introduced the Proverbs with the Musar. The disciplined instruction of the Word of God. The disciplined instruction. And uh, you want to neglect that? You don't want to live according to biblical principles? There's going to be consequences. But he who regards reproof will be honored. All right. Now, are we, are we saying that this is all in the sphere of time? Is the, does the reward, is the reward, uh, is this, you see why this can be abused? Because some people might claim, well, this is, this is the basis for prosperity theology. This, this should be the name and claim it approach. I, I should be filthy rich because I'm so reverent before doctrine. <laughs> Wait a minute. It doesn't say in time. And it doesn't say financially poverty, or this could be spiritual poverty, could be eternal poverty. Are we strictly limiting this to, to, uh, to temporal life riches? No, not at all. All right. I mean, when does the honoring take place? We, honored by who? My fellow thieves? Or honored by Jesus Christ when He says, well done, good and faithful servant? Is this on an eternal basis that the honor and the wealth and the treasures are laid up and the, the true return is given? Okay. So do you fear the commandment and regard reproof? In that case, the cash flow is coming in your direction. The benefit is yours, that the just claim is coming in your direction. Why is that? Because God's a robot? No. But because God Himself has magnified His Word. God has built into His Word that intrinsic worth, that intrinsic value. So that when you appropriate it for yourself, you are accumulating that wealth. You are accumulating that treasure. Do you despise the Word and neglect discipline and instruction? In that case, the cash flow is going out of you. You're finding yourself deeper and deeper and deeper in debt. Okay, things to think about. The, um, the next tandem. The Word of God is our provision for phase two salvation, particularly when lived out with a community of faith. The Word of God is our provision for phase two salvation, particularly when lived out with a community of faith. Here's our parallelism in uh, verses 14 and 17. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life to turn aside from the snares of death. I didn't list verse 14 on the screen. I should have. That's Proverbs 13, 14 and 17. And we're talking about phase two salvation. We're talking about being rescued. We're talking about being saved in the second sense of saved. Okay. Sometimes it's called phase two as opposed to phase one, phase two, phase three, the different contexts in which the Bible uses the term saved. All right? We're not talking about receiving eternal life and going to heaven when you die. Okay? You're right. Evangelism conversion moment when you passed out of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, that's phase one. That's the first concept of saved that the Bible will use. That you're saved from the penalty of sin. And so you're no longer an unbeliever. Now you're born again. You're regenerate. You're saved. Okay? And that's, that's what we call phase one. 
or the first way that the Bible uses save and salvation. But then we have the second aspect, and this is very common. I would say much more common even than phase one salvation is the salvation in our experience, is our experiential sanctification whereby we continue to be saved. Not from the penalty of sin, then we're eternally saved from that, but saved from the power of sin, presently being saved. Are we clear on this? Somebody asked me the other day, in fact Kevin's working on a project on this and when he gets it all put together, I hope he does, um, I'm going to ask him to uh, put some notes together, maybe teach it on a Wednesday night or something. So when we talk about saved, the Bible uses saved in, some people just say three different ways, I, I say four different ways, all right? And whether you're talking about the Greek sozo or the Hebrew, it's, it's Old and New Testament likewise. So phase one of salvation is what we call from the power of the penalty of sin. Right? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we get saved. That's passing from death into life. That's accepting the work of Christ on the cross. That's um, September 1973, okay? In my case, in your case, whenever you, uh, whenever you received eternal life. That's the first use of saved. But it's not the Bible's only use of saved. And that's where people get confused. Because they see a word saved. In fact, this, this passage doesn't even use saved. But it does say, it's a concept, because it does say a fountain of life, turning aside from the snares of death. Uh, it says um, uh, a wicked messenger falls into adversity, but a faithful envoy brings healing. Verse 14 and verse 17. So the word saved isn't even in either of those verses. But this is, we're still dealing with a phase two salvation in this, in this context, all right? So that's our phase one, being saved eternally, being saved uh, from the, the penalty of sin. All right, and then phase two salvation is from the power of sin. This is now experiential. This is in the Christian walk. This is uh, in every temptation, in every struggle, in every moment-by-moment um, moment walk. When sin does have a power, and it can have a power over you, but you get rescued from that power. You get saved from that power. Your, your feet are steered away from the, the snares of death. All right, and so this is now in our experience as we're walking in fellowship. Walk by means of the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This is, this is the being saved in experience. And now I'm going to give you some verses on this. And so you're going to see those. And it should be very clear. And this, I think there's more uses of this concept than phase one. Old Testament, New Testament combined. I mean, yes, the Bible tells you how to receive eternal life, but the Bible tells you a whole lot more about how to live out that eternal life in experience. How to live the the grace-redeemed way of life. And so this is uh, then phase two. And then finally, we're going to be saved from the presence of sin phase three salvation. The Bible uses the term saved and uses related concepts to relate to, to our promotion out of physical life into the personal presence of Jesus Christ. So my mother has now experienced this third phase of salvation. Saved from the very presence of sin. To be absent from the body and to be present with, with the Lord. And uh, to, be, uh, to be delivered out of this body of death. Oh wretched man that I am who will deliver me from the body of this death? That's a salvation, okay? 
And yes, there's human sorrow that goes with that. We've illustrated, we've had examples, okay? And uh, Mike's an example of that, Mike Snyder. He's gone through this salvation. And yes, the human sadness is there. But the spiritual joy is also there because he is saved eternally, ultimately, from the presence of sin, from the presence of death, from the presence of sickness, from cancer, from all this other garbage. And so these are the aspects there. And then the fourth one, not everyone uses this, um, there's an aspect of uh, a rescue uh, from uh, harm or danger. You know, a shipwreck, a robber, a wild animal, some kind of a um, some kind of a, a thing, you know, that's, that you're experiencing just in, in secular life. Okay? You can be rescued from that. And, and, and the, the language of salvation is the language of rescue, and so it shouldn't shock us that, uh, that this happens. All right, so when you break down these three or these four classifications, um, would it be useful to color code your Bible every time a verse comes up that's in one of those categories to just color code it? This is a phase one salvation, a phase two salvation, a phase three salvation. And to create a, uh, a visual filter in Logos whereby all of these verses would then be color-coded based upon uh, with a certain highlight or a certain marking to, uh, to delineate all these, these different things. Would that be a useful feature? Okay, I think it would be. I think it would be a very useful feature. And that's why, uh, as I mentioned, Kevin Perkins is, um, I think he's going to do that very, that very exercise. All right. And so when we talk about the Word of God being our provision for phase two salvation, that's what we're dealing with. That uh, when you are living the Word of God, you're living in it, it's living in you, you're thinking about it, it's shaping your thinking, that process saves you. That process saves you from uh, all the other temptations, anything that comes along. Okay? And, uh, you know, you want to stick your hand in the cookie jar. And, uh, but the Bible comes alive in your soul and says thou shalt not steal okay um, or a bible verse comes alive and it says uh you know honor your father and mother and uh mom told you to keep your hand out of the cookie jar <laughs> okay so now there's two verses working against you and uh do you need more okay maybe a third verse will work against you maybe a fourth verse will work against you or, um, against your carnality is what i'm saying because it's working for you in saving you, in rescuing you. And so the more verses you have, the more rescues you have. Do you want just one life uh, preserver or do you want a life preserver and a flotation ring and a rope and a boat and a, you know, a trained sailor out there to pull you out of the water? Okay? Get more Scripture. Those Scriptures will do it. So... Um, or do you want to fall into adversity? <laughs> do you want to just step into the snare of death? Close your eyes to the Bible and step into the snare. Maybe it won't spring. <laughs> yeah? Uh, that's why it's a snare. That's what it's designed to do. Um, Psalm 119 and verse 11. You know, what is, what is included? Do we have to turn there? You know it, right? Psalm 119.11 Thy word have I hid in my heart. Okay, 
Your word I have treasured in my heart. Treasured. Okay? It means it's not on a Bible, on a shelf, and ignored. It's treasured in his heart. Think about the things that you treasure. Think about the things that you, you fixate on, you think about, you care for, you tend, you nourish, you're treasuring it. That I might not sin against you. See, the idea contained in here is that this is the word you're paying attention to. You're living it out. It's transforming you. And on that basis, yes, it will keep you from sinning. If you are absolutely thriving in the Word of God in, in, as a true disciple, living it out all day, every day, it's hard to sin in those circumstances. <laughs> okay? You know, as I mentioned, it's, it's easy to sin if you're ditching the Word of God. It's, and, it's, and you just compound the issue, right? I, I kind of, I was a little bit blunt maybe on Sunday, but if, uh, you know, Sunday morning and you're waking up with whatever floozy you took home Saturday night, okay, because you were at the club and whatever and partying and she was cute and you were drunk and hey, it was fun and whatever, and so now you're, you, you, you're, got this one night stand going and uh, and then you wake up Sunday morning next to whoever, okay? Does that contribute towards or does it detract away from um, going to church that morning? Okay? I mean, what do you do? Okay, anyway. That's just, the, th- the point is poor decisions have additional consequences. And additional ongoing uh, snares, additional ongoing entanglements, uh, encumbrances and other things. It's not conducive to positive volition when you're waking up with last night's negative volition. Okay? And so there's a similar thing too as well. When you're living in the Word of God all day, every day, and you have your your morning devotions or your evening, whatever you find to do on a regular basis, stick with that on a regular basis and and make that your routine and don't miss it. Don't don't, uh, develop that habit of neglect because that that also has its ongoing consequences. So, treasure that word in your heart. How about uh, James 1.21? What's James 1.21 say? With humility receive the word of God implanted All right, but notice, therefore, putting aside all filthiness, not most, not some, okay, don't try to have it both ways, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, you realize what goes into this? You're a disciple of the Word of God. You can't serve two masters. You can't uh, be, be defiled and, and keep living this life of filthiness and then also on top of that bring in some academic information and think that's going to help. Learn some facts about the Bible. Okay, Knowledge puffs up but love edifies. If you're trying to live this carnal life and then also kind of you know, mix in a little bit of Bible information to go with it, is that going to help? All right. No, putting aside all filthiness and all the remains of wickedness, in humility, 
receive the word, and I love the concept of receive the word, implanted. Implanted. How deep does it have to get to be implanted? Okay? It's not just something that's, you know, on the surface. It's not just something that's kind of, you know, you, you, you scrape off uh, three inches of topsoil and you stick it in there and you just kind of layer it over. You can still see it sticking out. <laughs> okay? How deep does it have to get? It's got to get deep, implanted. And then it says, which is able to save your souls. Okay? And there's our word save. It's our same sozo. It's a, but it's not, we're not talking about uh, phase one here. We're not talking about uh, putting aside wickedness. You know, this gets abused. If you're going to you know, repent of all your sins, put aside your wickedness, stop doing all that sinning stuff, and, then, uh, and then, then you can get saved. We're not talking about phase one here. We're talking about people who are already saved. And they need to put aside that wickedness. They need to live out their salvation. They need to be transformed by the Word of God. Okay? In phase two of salvation here. And uh, which is able to save your souls. Able. I love the able there. Able doesn't mean it, it means it doesn't just automatically happen. You have to let it happen. You have to work with it. You have to submit to it. You have to live it out in all the context and parameters and, and uh, expectations that go with it. And you can't just be a hearer of the Word. You've got to be a doer as it goes on to talk about that as well. You don't want to be self-delusionary. Prove yourself doers of the Word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. See, if you're not willing to live it out, if you're not willing to do it, hearing doesn't save you. You've got to do it. You've got to do that which you've heard. Particularly when lived out within a community of faith. And this is why, again, Joe Hermit Christian living in a cave, sitting at home, listening to a tape recorder or whatever, podcasting, streaming a, streaming a, a pastor, wherever. Okay, and, and by virtue of the internet, you can stream anybody, anybody, anywhere. We've got streamers in the Philippines right now and, and, and whatever, okay? And, you know, if, if you can't get it anywhere else, if there's no churches anywhere else, but let me tell you something, you need a community, you need to be accountable because the tape recorder is not an authority. And uh, different things. All right. 2 Timothy 2.22. I love 2 Timothy 2.22. It's easy to find. It's easy to remember. You got all those twos. It's 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 22. All right, 2 Timothy. Where are we here? 2 Timothy 2.22. And the value of having positive peer support, the value of having Friends, having uh, fellow brothers and sisters that are working with you, that are upholding the same norms and standards, the same values. So, um, do you name the name of the Lord? See? Verse 15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. So, you're living in the word of God, you're under teaching. And you are learning as a workman, not a spectator. You're learning as someone that's a doer, not a hearer only. 
and uh, and you're observing uh, false teaching, and you're warning against that, and you're staying. Uh, you're not going to be distracted by non-issues, and uh, you're going to abstain from wickedness. Verse 19, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are His. Everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. So none of this is phase one salvation, it's all phase two. You name the name of the Lord, you're saved, you want to live that way. Put aside wickedness, put aside all the remains of of wickedness. And then there's, in a large house, there's not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware, some to honor, some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. That's why we use rebound. That's why we confess our sins. That's why we are 1 John 1.9. If you don't cleanse yourself, what are you? You're a vessel for dishonor. You're not sanctified. You're unsanctified. You're useless to the master. And you are unprepared for anything in the will of God. As a carnal believer, God will never use you. Okay? Then it goes on to say, now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. I love the fact that the positive pursuit is four times emphasized as the fleeing. There's only one object of the verb for flee. There's four objects of the verb for pursue. Just grammatically. Two verbs and the first verb has one object, and the second verb has four objects, okay? And when we're, not, we're not saying that lust is the only thing you have to flee from. I'm not saying that. Tons of stuff you should flee from, but just as a ratio, as this verse presents it, um, do we, how much time do we spend avoiding sins, and how much time do we spend pursuing righteousness? Okay? How fruitful is it to just sit around all day, you know, don't do drugs, don't do drugs, don't do drugs, Okay? Or if, if, if whatever is right, whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is honorable, let your mind dwell on these things. Are we pursuing righteousness? Am I fixing my eyes on Jesus? Am I thinking about the, 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 the goodness of the Word of God? Okay. And as I'm spending four times the amount of the effort and effort and time and energy and, and everything, and then it just dawns on me, wow, I haven't thought about this other thing in days now, weeks, months. That didn't even cross my mind. Because okay? I, I, I think that's the better way of, of approaching it. In, in, in a lot of ways, if, if all you're doing is sitting there 24 hours a day, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, well then you're thinking about it 24 hours a day. Okay? So quit thinking about it. And then it goes on to say, so pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And then it says, all by your lonesome? Come on, John Wayne Christian, you can handle this. No, it says, with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So we have associates, we have friends, we have brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a pastor, we have deacons, we've got prayer partners, we have our church family. Back in Proverbs the terms were, um, what were the terms? The, um, The teaching of the wise. Okay, So you have wise brothers and sisters, older brothers and sisters. Uh, or you have the faithful envoy, the faithful envoy. Isn't that great? You know, and he maybe didn't even know he was a faithful envoy, but he was the right person at the right time with the right encouragement. That's a faithful envoy. 
So if you're living it out within a community of faith, the Word of God is our provision for phase two salvation. Now, then we get into the production. What we learn or fail to learn produces abundant favor, which would be grace, or abundant folly. And we find the productive um, emphasis in verses 15 and 16. What we learn produces abundant grace, abundant favor. What we fail to learn produces abundant folly. And it's interesting, the longer you spend in the Word of God, the greater grace that gets produced. And the longer you spend neglecting the Word of God, the bigger fool you end up being. Because you are producing folly. And some brothers and sisters are manufacturing folly on an industrial scale. (laughs) They've been, man, they've been in production for a long, long time. Developing it to an art form. Inventors of every form of evil. Okay? Good understanding produces favor. It's a production. Think of it as a byproduct. Think about how much more gracious you become. Now we're not talking about the grace of God that He extends to you, that He pours through you, that you're a conduit. Difference between being a conduit and a source. I believe we're both. And I can find scriptures that can speak to, to either one. Both are absolute, uh, both are principles from the Word of God. We will be conduits of the grace of God that come from God as a source, but we also can be a source of grace and should be a source of grace, a source of favor with our good understanding. The more we know about the Word of God, the more gracious we're going to be. And when I see a believer that's not very gracious, that's a clue that they don't have a good understanding of the Word of God. That's a clue that they've got a flawed understanding of the Word of God. Their legalism, their lack of graciousness, their lack of grace is a pretty good indicator that their understanding is, is impaired in one respect or another. Because with a good understanding they would have a, a favor production. But the way of the treacherous is hard. You're just making it harder for yourself. It doesn't have to be that hard. How hard is it? Well, you're making it worse, aren't you? Right? Another John Wayne quote. The um, life is hard. And it's even harder when you're stupid and make poor decisions. Okay? And that's true. I love that quote. Um, verse 16, every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool displays folly. And he just throws it out there on display. He doesn't even know it's folly. He thinks it's great. Hey, look at this. Here, hold my beer. Watch this. Okay? And they don't know that they're displaying their own folly, oblivious to the fact that they are the poster child for not living the Word of God. All right, well, there we have it. Okay. Father, thank you for this time. Where does the time go? It just flies by, Father, but I thank you for Proverbs. I pray that we would uh, chew on these concepts, that we would pray over these verses and consider if we are valuing the Word of God or if uh, our hunger has dipped a bit, if we could take it or leave it, if we have fallen into a bit of a, of a uh, lack of hunger, Father. Wake us up. Give us an increased appetite. And I thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen.